You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Hi, this is Stephen J. Schwartz, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Stephen J. Schwartz. He's the author of Stormy, Whether or Not We Believe It Is Still Stormy Weather. How you doing, Stephen? Nice. Nice pronunciation. I love it. Did I do that correctly? Well, I love it. It was very, very good. For the listeners, Stormy Weather is W-H-E-T-H-E-R. And then the second weather reference is Weather Like Rain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, how you doing, man? You're in New York. I, I got to see you in New York. I got to see you. It was so fun. It was awesome. We got to hang out and have, I got to have ca- cappuccino with Antonio is what I did. It was see. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was like in, at, at Reggio in uh, the West Village, right? Is that where we were at? Great. I loved it. I, I'm going there again tonight. I've been writing there every night. Oddly enough, this this little trip to New York has been about a month long by the time I, I get out of here. And um, I've somehow made uh, use of it to get a lot of writing done. Uh, and seeing you out here also, and seeing you writing and writing like crazy while you're out here and, and getting your, your novel finished, you know, getting it in, in, in shape here, um, inspired me too. And so I, uh, I, uh, I really have been working very hard and, and I've been working on that project now for like three years. And this, this is the first time that I feel like I've got a real handle on it now in, in this last few weeks. Doesn't it feel great? Because I, I think that's the thing. It's like, I I don't think people realize who aren't novelists that it's about having a handle on it. And a lot of the times we feel like it's not totally in our grasp. Oh, it's, it's not, you know, it's weird because this is a profession or, or you know, a, a, a passion and obsession that we have um, all of our lives. And I'm not really enjoying it until the, the you know if i if it takes me three years to write something i'm not really enjoying it until the last year i'm struggling and, and kind of hating a lot of it you know there's moments where i'm really loving you know if i get a, a chapter out and it's just kind of spontaneous it's really happy. but the, the the part that i really really like about it is is the is the rewriting you know once i've got the whole the whole um thing kind of you know laid out and ahead of me and i've got like that first draft done then I really, really go to town. That's when I have fun. That's when it's like, I can't fuck up. Too, I, I fucked up. I wasn't supposed to cuss. So, <laughs> but uh, I hit that seven-second seven, seven second delay there, Tony. Um, but uh, but uh, I, um, what was I rambling on about? So you were the, rambling on about the rewrite yeah, because yeah. I, and this is what I always, this is what I always tell my students is the first draft, we are creating problems for ourselves. We're just creating problems. The second, like after that, then we get to fix the problems. We get, it's almost like we get a puzzle to play with and it's, it's like easier to. It's easier. Build. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. something on the page, you know, it's like, you know, the writers have it the hardest. Let's say if we're talking about the film world, you know, I think the writers have it hardest because everyone else has the map. Everyone has the screenplay. Even if you hire writers to rewrite the original screenplay, blah, 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 whatever, which happens in the industry, they're still working off of a a a something you know a a a template right and but the writer just sits there and faces the freaking empty page and it's hell and um every time i have to write something brand new i have to write an absolutely new scene you know i, I do as much tinker as i can to set it up i i do as much like um uh, i'll write out bullet points of what i expect to have in that scene i just try to lay it out so that when i get into it I'm, it's not so much of a struggle you know, and then once I've got that scene written, I can go back and I can rewrite and rewrite. I mean, this first once I get to the end of this first draft, I will have rewritten the thing, you know, numerous times up to that point, really, um, because I can't let a chapter go uh, in a really raw form. I have to go back and, 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 and you know, do a lot of finishing touches even before I get to the end. But when I do finally get to the end, I can go back and really look at the whole piece, um, you know, top to bottom. And I can say, OK, I need to brush stroke you know, these character traits all the way through from beginning to the 
again. I need to I need to add this one, you know, character beat or, or characteristic, you know, from beginning all the way to the end. I need to add uh, world building, you know, to this particular degree, you know, and, and I'm able to do that and go over and over and over and over again until I'm just done. And someday that will be that will happen. <laughs> so, I know. Do you, this it gets I get so crazy about it. Like I know the character, like the characters' names. I'll say the characters' names, like they're real people in my life. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, Sebastian does this, and I got Carissa, and blah blah blah. And P- and it, you say it like they're really good friends because I'm spending like four hours a day with these people. More than I'm spending it more than any of my friends in my life. It's you know, I'm it's I have more into my intimate relationship right now uh, is like with these characters, and it's it's almost probably a mental illness. Yeah, I think I've heard you say that before. Um, yeah, like mental illness. I think it's come up in a conversation of ours when we were at Reggio's. Cafe Reggio. Dude, yeah. we were at Reggio's for like it was great. Come down and meet me for a drink. And I think I think I may have had one, maybe two, but it was. Just, and then it was just like, oh shit, it's like four hours later. Yep, yep. And that's and that's the beauty of it. I love that. That's what living really is to me: is to be able to spend that time with with friends. And I'm so happy. To be able to hang out with you, you know, because we knew we were going to be doing the drinks with Tony thing, you know, anyway, a month later or something. But the fact that I was going to be in New York and you're going to be in New York and we were able to make it happen. And you, you know, you found your way to Greenwich Village through the subway system, you know, on your first try. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got I had a panic attack that one. I had a good that that's that was the day that I had my largest panic attack was when I was trying to get to you. And then, um, and it's, and I hadn't had a panic attack like that in a long time. And usually I have that type of panic attack when I'm on a plane, but I've been doing so much work with my therapist to fly easily. The flight was easy. And then I'm like walking and then all of a sudden I'm in a subway and I'm like, <laughs> just smacked me upside the head. I'm like, oh, I, I, I might have to call Stephen and tell him I can't make it. And I'm like, no, that you'll you'll hurt worse walking back home. You need to see Stephen. Just go, just go, man, go. I, well, listen, I really get it because um, the subways are a really scary place to go to alone when you're trying to figure it out because you easily just end up on the wrong subway so easily, and then you're. Yeah where you are and you don't know how to get off and you don't know who's watching you and all this crazy shit happens on the subways. And, you know, yeah. it's, uh, so I get it. You know, your first, that was your first time on the subway, right? No, no, it wasn't, but it was, it was, um, I take everything back. I'm yeah. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. I should have known. Essentially you should have known Tony. No, no, it was, I, it's, I got on and I knew where I was going on that one. It's just for some odd reason, like you get that impending doom and death and so some of it's PTSD for me too, where I'm just like, wait, I mean, I have a hard time enjoying myself. Like when I enjoy myself and everything feels great is usually when my brain goes, we got a problem. (laughs) So, so uh, you know, and then I have to like kind of retrain it and go, this is excitement. This is anticipation. This is joy. And then. Is that from um, uh, your early life? uh, Yes. In the, the, um, uh, the the Jehovah's witnesses when you, well, I guess if you, if you felt some sort of, um, uh, pleasure it was it was probably a sin or something i'm, I'm guessing no it will yeah anything outside the jehovah's witnesses was almost was impending death essentially so it's just um that's still kind of a tape recorder that i'm working on uh yeah. constantly but i you know i don't think it ever goes away but i get to go oh yeah it's from that you know uh, you it, drag it around with you your entire life that way yeah yeah wow. yeah yeah <laughs> So that's that's good. Sometimes it really pisses me off, and then other times I'm like, you know, lucky that um I got to create a story out of it. So yeah, confessions of a teenage Jesus jerk. Tony <laughs> Duchamp. I know when we go to Red Reggio's, it's like Antonio Duchamp. Come by. Yes. I really like that West Village area, though, man. I wish I spent more time there. And then I'm gonna go back there in fall, and I'm definitely gonna just get more on the subways more. And, um, and I was working so much on the book that I was just like kind of staying in the neighborhood I was staying in and yeah. just yeah. kind of not doing a lot. I saw just very few people yeah. that I was just like, Oh, I need to see him. I need to see her. Okay. And I need to like be in my head. It was, it was kind of a weird trip to not do a lot, you know? No, you, you made the, the best use of it. 
and you and you used it creatively, which is great, you know, which is what I'm doing too. I, I'm I'm using it creatively, and I love the the vibe, the energy, the jazz, jazz just spilling out into the streets, you know, yeah. cafe and musicians are so damn good. Yeah, uh, I get lost in Washington Square Park, you know, musicians just jazz musicians just out there playing on the weekends, and and they're, everyone's they're so talented. Everyone's so talented. Out there. Yeah, there's a... everyone on Times Square, of course. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. <laughs> but, but everybody. Someone else. asked me if I went to Times Square, and I'm like, "Yeah, no, I think I walked under it as I was in Grand Central Station." But I'm not getting out on <laughs> Times Square. Yeah, it's, uh, I've done. I've done it. It's like going to Vegas. You know, once you've done it a number of times, it's like done. I don't I've never done it, and I just I really don't care to do it. <laughs> Except on New Year's Eve. No, I'm kidding. Did you do it? Did you go to there on New Year's Eve or not? No, God, no, 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 no. I don't think I could do it either. Yeah, it's like it's like um, it's kind of like what do you call it when you're like online dating, which I'm kind of doing right now. And there's like there's you see some of these photos and they're they're real hard nose. And that someone if someone puts a photo of themselves up and it's like New Year's Eve at Times Square. I don't care how beautiful you are. I don't care if you're a best-selling writer that I know. It is swipe left because you make very bad decisions. It's the same with uh, too many Disney, too many photos at Disneyland. It's just like, no, you, you have, you have no originality in life. Well, I'm glad I'm not in the scene, in the dating. Oh, you've just, just bless your heart every single day. It's a, it's the dredge of, it's the bottom of humanity out there. I'm actually just, I'm I'm getting off of all online dating right now because when we were talking, you were just kind of getting into it. When yeah, I know. I know. It's just, it's lunacy out there, you know, make me laugh is something that a lot of women put. And I'm just like, no, yeah, you know, sure. it's just like, okay. I, that's like saying, give me a blowjob. It's just like oh. right in the front. Give me a blowjob. Make me yeah. laugh. Yeah. Like, no, I, I'm one. I'm very funny too. I will never make you laugh. Cause we're never <laughs> If you have to say it, then 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 don't yeah. Worry. And there's and they use the word I expect. Oh no, oh, God! I'm like I'm already they, getting they, a lecture. They, 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 I think they've been burned a lot. Anyone who were to use the words I expect in a dating yeah. profile has been burned a lot. And and it's, it's at this point, it's just you know what? <laughs> I kind of use those same words when I had I had a great opportunity to get a new agent. I've been through like I don't know. 12 different Hollywood agents in my, in my life. Right. And so there was one, I think at the Gersh agency and I had been at another agency that this one agent treated me terribly. I just, he was a really top notch, like boutique agent. And, um, and, uh, and he, you know, at a certain point, an agent just kind of never returns your call. You know, there's a point where that just kind of happens in Hollywood. And, yeah. um, and so I, I just, I couldn't stand the way this guy treated me. And so then some young agent got me in to meet with someone at Gersh and I was young, you know, and this is my second agent. And I just, so she got me right there in front of her boss and was pitching me. And then I told the, the guy, you know, I said, well, this is what I expect. You know, I expect this and I expect that. And, and I don't want this and I want that. And, you know, and I was just, I was letting everything out that I felt about the other agent to this guy. Oh, yeah. And, and he was just like, well, you know what? It sounds to me like you've kind of been burned, you know, in yeah. your previous agent and and uh and I, I don't think we're really compatible and, and he was really a gentleman about it and, and then you know it wasn't until much later that i realized well i probably handled that poorly you know yeah it and 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 it, the, you bring up a good point because i feel like working with editors or working with agents or publishers it it is um kind of like dating and it is there there's a there's a um because it's almost like fast intimacy because these meetings you know it's just there, there's a I mean, we're we're giving our work to them. They're taking the responsibility of going. We want this work. We're going to give it to the people we know and love and talk to every day. And it's it's almost it's almost like a lot of fast intimacy. It it, it might be uh, more intimate than dating. More intimate than what? More intimate than dating. More than dating. Yeah, I wonder. I I, I um. I, I see it more as a, as a, prof, a professional relationship um, because um, because uh, at least the, with the agents that I've dealt with more recently, it's like they, they're they're looking for a very specific thing. You know, if I can provide that thing that they can sell, 
it's very transactional in a sense. And, uh, and we have, a, there's a friendship there, but it's not like it's, it's really based around the project and the opportunity that you both see. And, and once that opportunity isn't there, you know, they go on to other things. The relationship doesn't, isn't necessarily still there. Like it was, the relationship was based around the project. That's kind of often what I've seen with some of the more professional agents, you know? Um, oh, so I, sh I, sh I shouldn't be having sex with every agent that wants me to have sex with them. Uh, unless it's on your dating profile, <laughs> in which place, uh, yes, you can do that. I was with Gersh for a hot second. Were you? Yeah, I, I came back and I was at Gersh again. Another, I really, I've it's been, I've been at uh, like twelve, I've had like twelve different agents in 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 in, in L.A. and and it's um, uh, and I I found that the 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 agents that I liked the most were at the small boutique agencies. They were great. Mm -hmm. I love them. The ones I like the least were at the big agencies like William Morris or CAA or ICM. Yeah. Um, and they were really transactional. Um, but the the boutique agencies were more, while they were more interested in like developing your career and they had a better relationship, they didn't have the clout really to put a big deal together. And the, the agents at the big agencies had this clout and ability immediately to put a big deal together. But it's, it's, it's like, you're, it's very rare to get in that moment where all the stars align where you're part of that big deal. And if it doesn't happen in a very short window, it's like you're, you're just outside of the mind and you can never reach them again. Right. And that's why we got to love the process and, the, and working on our, working on our own stuff. Yeah. To, because that's, I mean, if we don't, then it's, you know, we, we can't rely on all these outside forces. I mean, I can't, or I would lose my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, we got We got to do it because we love doing it. We have to do it. We have to write because we love writing. You know, we love yeah. We can't do anything else. Well, I think anyway, the, about. The, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I think about that a lot too because I've been thinking about um, as I write. I try to like I'm. I, I just came. I, this just came to my head, and I can't remember if we talked about it uh, when I was in New York, which was what like two weeks ago. I love saying yeah. like, well, I've seen you two weeks ago in New York. It's just it feels so close, so close. Yeah. Now we're three thousand miles away, but it. It's just we were right there across the table from each other, but um, but the um, that we're all in our own hero's journey. Not only our own hero's journey, but all of our different conflicts and issues are in. Sometimes we're in Act One, in other parts of our lives we're in Act Three. We were doing a showdown. In other parts we're in fun and games in Act Two, and it's it's I've. I've I'm kind of starting to go, oh, wait a second. That that's interesting. Like online dating. I'm in act one still, I think. Status quo, you know, is yeah. and then it's just like uh, other things. It's like, oh wait, act three. Okay, that that's that's something that's coming to an end. That's 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 coming to a fade out. And there there's there there's always um I guess I'm just talking about the idea of the hero's journey, yeah. but how many different hero's journeys we're constantly on. Yeah, and, and and at different places in our lives. Yeah, and everyone we know is the hero of their own hero's journey, and they're all going through the same different journeys as well. So it's so you get ten people in a room, and you've got a lot going on, right? A lot of complexity. Wow, I like. Yeah, I didn't even think of it like that. That's cool. And then so, and then sometimes they're the one of those people are the antagonist oh, in ours, yeah. and yeah. we're the antagonist yeah. in theirs. Yes. And, yeah. Or we might be the ally in theirs, but they're the antagonist in ours. And they don't right. Know. And they don't know. They don't know. There's <laughs> a whole other book in this thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, there, there's a Charlie Kaufman film. Okay. <laughs> Dude, really? But yeah, yeah. Let's let's go with this. Yeah. Um I I won't say who his name is, but he's kind of a big author. And I'll tell you after we record, but he like sent me these stupid messages last week and he's just this little drama queen. And um, he's, he's kind of been in the news here and there, but I'm just like, dude, you gotta, you uh, he, he sent me a, um, he sent me a tweet that I liked in 2017. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you care, dude? And then, uh, then I was just, and I was kind of like asking his intentions and stuff and, he just messaged it to me out of the blue. And I'm like, I haven't really like had a conversation with you for like 15 years. None of this matters to me. And 
you're crazy. I, I essentially, I just blocked him from all like social media, but, but like, I looked at how many similar, how many mutual friends we have on like Facebook. It's like over 500. (laughs) I'm just like going, yeah, well that dude's blocked. And even if I ever see him, I'll just, I'll just laugh in his face. I'll be like, you're so psychotic dude. And I know a lot of the people who are mutual friends will say the exact same thing. They'll just never say it in public. (laughs) You've got a platform. You can say it in public. Uh, right. I just don't want my name uh, associated with his in any way at all. So, <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I do want to talk a little bit about um, stormy weather or not. Yeah. Uh, because um, because I think it's something that that uh, is going to kind of just get lost out there if I don't say something about it once in a while. Well, it, do it, you mean lost in this interview or lost in general? <laughs> Lost in general, just because it's um, I'm not really doing much to promote it. You know, it's 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 the first time I've ever self-published, so I feel right. a little bit um, uh, vulnerable in, in that I that I just basically said these are good enough to publish without going through a publisher and getting going through an editor and all these kinds of things, and 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 that wasn't really the reason why I wanted to to publish them anyway. I wanted them to be all these are writings that I've done over thirty years and and. And um, in, during some you know dark times and some challenging times in my life and and fun times and just things that I thought about and sat in cafes across in different uh, cities across the country and um, you know jazz clubs and stuff and just sat and wrote and wrote and collected all this material that I put in boxes and and if anything ever happened to me no one would be able to, be able to you know go through this and say what is what is decent what is not good and and you know what should be read and what shouldn't be. so I, I said you know what i'm going to go through that process i'm going to go through my closet i'm going to pull out all the stuff that, I, that i've written i'm going to go through it with a fine-tooth comb and i'm going to find the things that i really that really speak to me and I'm put it together in a little collection and so that you know there'll be so that that part of me will be represented and it's, it's a lot of short stories you know there's some short stories that were previously published um some that haven't been um some uh just a lot of poetry um and just kind of a little uh excerpts about my my uh, observations of life you know and, and I, I feel that that it, it represents kind of my experience on this planet between that and my novels you know boulevard and beat and, and some of the other stuff i've done and this was like that hole that that needed to be filled that's that kind of like filled in the last gap of, of my experience on this planet so that's yeah. why do you feel like this is the, your most personal work or is this just a part of the journey of the other books that just really dig into your personal? Uh... Um, it is more personal in some ways um, because there's a lot of nonfiction in there. Um, you know, the Boulevard and Beat are very personal because a lot of it's based on my life, but they're still fiction, you know, they're novels and uh, they're different characters. And um, while I can, really really relate and a lot of the things that happened to Hayden Glass come out of my my own experience um and I can talk about when we talk about Boulevard and Beat I can then switch gears and talk about my personal experience and what influenced the the, the story um this this collection Stormy Weather Collection is has a lot more that's just like right out of my you know experience you know things remembered about you know growing up and the things that really stick out in my life when I was a kid and and in and, and a lot having to do with my father, even the fiction pieces that are in there um, come right from my experience with my dad's death. You know, my dad committed suicide um, when I was 20 and, and he had left my mom six years earlier uh, because he'd had been having an affair. And, and it's just like all this storm and, and drong, you know, going on in, in my life, young life affected, influenced everything in the rest of my life you know, in, in, in all of my writing. Boulevard and Beater influenced by my dad's suicide. Um, a short uh, story called Meditations on a Suicide is actually a film, a short film that I included in the in the uh, in this collection. I wrote the day after my dad killed himself, um, and uh, and then it took me another five years to get it made as a film. I've included a, a link to the film that was made that I made in sixteen millimeter back in film school called Meditation on a Suicide. You know, Yardside Candle, which is the flip side of that, um, I wrote right after Meditation on Suicide. And, and so there's a lot of this collection that just comes from uh, me struggling with my dad, uh, his death, and then just kind of like being lost, trying to find my my path as a creative person when I have to get day jobs and, and you know, and I'm not considered, you know, a success. You're not considered a success 
at your art until you you're supporting your family with that that thing you know and at least that's been my experience and so if there's this one life in an, in a different industry a business industry and that's what supported my family and then there's the other life that's creative and i put just as much time into both you know and all i really want to do is spend the time in the creative side so sometimes I feel like the cre- the spending the time in the creative side um, also can because uh, because especially you're you have you know wife and kids that you're supporting which is a um, which is a larger uh, a larger um, need than like someone I would have and I and I think that um, I think that I see a lot of people. Uh, stuck in a rut in screenwriting or stuck in a rut on a TV show that they can't get off, that they don't feel creative. So even though they have a writing career, as I do my air quotes, they're not feeling like they're they're getting their creative juices because they're on a show that's just making them lose their mind, but they're making so much money and they just, they don't even have a, they, they, they just don't have a moment to have a um, personal, uh, relationship with their creativity. It's interesting. That's the other side. I, I, I've known them, uh, TV successful TV writers too that have said, "Oh my God, you've written a novel! How awesome that you wrote a novel!" And I'm thinking, "Wow, you're a freaking successful TV writer. Um, I would love to 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 do that." You know, but at the same time, you're right. They don't have that time and that space, that headspace to sit and spend a year or whatever it is to to write that novel, and and they're they're not realizing this part of themselves which is to write a novel it's interesting how many people you know want to write a novel feel like they're they're incomplete if they haven't written a novel but it's also interesting how fewer people there are now who have that as a goal just because things have changed and no one's really you know not there aren't as many people reading novels anymore they're reading texts and and you know different you know whatever they're watching tv you know they're not there's not a lot of I don't run into as many readers that I as I used to run into. When I was in New York, I I I, I took my I took myself on a date the last day because you know I'm I'm a great date and um. Was so it I because took, I told you to go screw yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, Stephen has such great ideas on the subway back. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then I was like, maybe I should pull my pants up and wait till I get home. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the other guy on the on the cross the way was like, oh no, we just do it here. Yeah. Um, what was I? Oh, I I took myself to the Met, um, and 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 before I went, I took myself to breakfast. And there's a little like kind of uh, church like uh, touristy breakfast joint that's on uh, Museum Mile, right on uh, Fifth Ave. And I was. And I was sitting there eating and reading, reading my book, you know, trying to trying to look like I wasn't trying to look like anything. I'm still trying. I'm trying to get through volume two of uh, Proust. And um, and I saw this kid and I saw well, I say a kid. Um, I think he was in his late 20s and he had War and Peace. He was reading War and Peace. And I went up to him and I was like, I was and it just I was one. I was like, bless your heart, man. I was like, how, I was like, how are you liking that? And he's like. I'm loving it. He goes, it's so slow. And I just got to talk to him for a while. And it just, it gives me so much hope because I think there is going to be a point of, wait, what am I doing on TikTok for eight hours a day when I could be in, when I could be engrossed in something that changes my life? Because TikTok does not change your life. A book can change your life. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and you'll see that in New York and you'll see that in different places not often enough. I remember I saw a girl, she was like a high school girl reading um, uh, The Great Gatsby in the airport once. I, I came up and I said, oh my God, I was so excited. She's reading The Great Gatsby. And I said, I said, how do you like it? You know? And she said, does it get any better? <laughs> and, I, and I said, no, it doesn't get any better. You know, meaning like it doesn't get any better than this. You know, this right. is a appreciated, damn it. You know, but and, and I realized that she was reading because she was being forced to read it, and you know, in a class, right? But, yeah, uh, that's and that's the thing. You know, I mean, I'm 53 and I'm reading Proust right now, and I think if I tried to read Proust when I was 33, I would have looked at it like it was the stupidest thing in the world. Yeah. And then, but and I, I don't know. And I've talked to people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I had to read that in college," and they use the word "had to read it." 
And I'm reading it right now and I'm going, this, this means everything to me at this moment. I'm, I'm like savoring it. I can't wait to come home and get back to it. And it's, I think when sometimes the, the timing just isn't right. You know, the, the, the timing of when we hit something. Like I was still, I was like 23 when I tried to read Kurt Vonnegut. And I'm like, that dude's like, no way. I don't understand him at all. I gave him another try when I was 30. And I was like, who the hell was I when I was 23? Because Vonnegut's a genius. And it's just, but if I didn't hit him again, I may have still had that, um, that, uh, what do you call it? The taste. Yeah. The feeling or thinking that I still, I was a snobby little brat, you know, so. Well, listen. I've uh, I read uh, All Quiet on the Western Front now, once every ten years, and and I, it's a new book every time I read it. It's still a great book. It's one of my very favorite books. Ever. Oh my god! I, yeah, I think I posted about that on Facebook, and you're like, dude, and I was like, yeah, I'm reading it for the first time, and it, it's just like, oh, like wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 absolutely succeeded in um, uh, in making that universal. You know that that wasn't those weren't Germans out on the you know in the trenches. They were any soldier of any nationality in those trenches. It was it was so universal and so well written. I read I, after I read that this last time, the third time, I ended up saying, you know what? I realized that there was a sequel. He wrote a sequel called them. They they came home or something like that. And so I got that. And then I just said, you know, I'm just going to buy every freaking book that he's read. And I I, I he had like another 12 books. I bought them all and read them all within the month. Wow. And what did any of them come as close to All's Quiet on the Western Front? That, that was, All Quiet on the Western Front was by, by far the best. But they Wait, were good. Yeah. Was much, much better. What number uh, What number novel was that in his? Uh, that was his first. It was his first. He came yeah, out. Yeah. He comes out the gate with, yeah. How do you, how do you top that? If you come out with the yeah. gate with that, you're, it's just like. Um, he had a great career though he really um he was uh he had like famous marlena dietrich was one of his uh his wives or his lovers. Ooh, sexy oh my <laughs> god right on dude <laughs> interesting, interesting fellow and i read his biography of him and everything too so i really got into him for for a, a hot moment there yeah um, and um and what else did uh did i read recently i forgot oh um that I reread. Oh, I, I reread On the Road again. And I, you know, I read that like when I was in my 20s. And I thought, huh, a lot of run-on sentences, you know. And and I, and I fell in love with the beats. And I fell yeah. in love with their lives. And I, I kind of fell in love with their lives more than their writing. I, I fell in love with what they were trying to do and their adventures. And, and I love the Subterraneans by Kerouac um, and the Dharma bums. Um, but it's like, and I went back and... and and I just kind of never, I only read On the Road that one time when I was in, uh, you know, 20 or so. And and I just thought, well, it's just not, you know, the best thing in the world. And then I reread it just a few months ago and I went, oh, this is fantastic. This is really wonderful. Um, so I just missed out on so much of it when I was younger. And, you know, and and, and it's, he was younger then too. It's just, he, when he writes fast uh, and, you know, first thought, best thought kind of thing, his first thoughts are really great thoughts. You know, it's like my first thoughts aren't necessarily that good. I have to go back and rewrite, rewrite, rewrite to get to that yeah. best thought. But um, his right off the top of his head, he, he, was, he was really, really good. I read on the I read on the road. I think I was 23 years old as a Jehovah's Witness kid. And I was still a Jehovah's Witness at the time. You don't travel unless you're doing missionary work or, you know, there, there was just kind of no um just go somewhere unless you're like really tied into the jehovah's witnesses i read on the road and i got a ticket to paris and stayed there for three weeks and that was because of on the road it just like that changed my life and then going to paris and having kind of a bummer time there because i was the idiot also changed my life because i was you know i was just like hey come on I'm, i'm from san francisco and they're just looking at me like yeah so oh wait I am nobody. Oh crap! <laughs> was that like the turning point from uh, you leaving the church? No, not yet. Uh, I I had another. Uh, I had a marriage. I had a Jehovah's Witness marriage to get into, and I had another. <laughs> I had another uh, 
I didn't re- I didn't really go look I'm out until I was 29 but I still believed it was true when I was 29 but I knew there was something wrong but I believed that that it was going to be fixed by Jehovah at some point and then when I was about 33 I guess Jesus I just realized that's like what you you mean the, 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 like when Jesus figured it out yeah exactly that's when I went oh my god and that's when I had a really rough time because that was like finding out they said i tried to describe it to people it's it when your belief system shattered like that it's like all of a sudden earth is water and water is earth it's just it just everything just is whoa that's it it's you're yeah. like life is not life and um it was, it was rough yeah for how long how many years were you kind of in that middle point in the middle point well like how how many years were you kind of on on the wet ground, I guess, so to speak. Oh yeah. Um, so that would be 20 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, so I, I think right now I'm kind of just on, um, I'm on dry ground. That's, that's got some muddy porn points to it, but, um, but what's that? You said it had some muddy, muddy porn in it. That's what you said. Some muddy porn. I know it's probably, <laughs> I probably <laughs> muddy porn. I just, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, um and the online dating thing is just not working out man um but so it's, it's so so it's better but i mean you were like in the in the in that that uncomfortable period of time for for how long i think for a very long time even after i did jesus jerk but there was a point where i started writing jesus jerk and that was um when I felt okay to tell other people that I grew up a Jehovah's witness. Like I would never, ever, ever tell anyone I grew up a Jehovah's witness. Cause it was just a shame. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, why am I carrying this burden? This is not my fault. And then I was like, let me give an identity to this and let me be okay with it. And it's just, and that was a lovely time to go, you know what? This is how I grew up. Oh, you're gay. You know what? I used to think God was going to kill you at Armageddon and I don't anymore. And I would tell like, I would tell almost every gay dude I met. I was just like, dude, I used to think you were going to die. And now I don't. And I embrace you. And it was, um, and then my, and it was usually my, my wife's coworkers at the time. And she was still a Jehovah's witness. And she's like, what did you talk to Tim about last night? And I'd be like, well, I told him I was just so excited that I can like embrace him and not have that weird thing in the back of my head thinking that he was going to die. And she's like, can you stop talking to my coworkers like that? Cause then they're going to ask me about, you know, me being a Jehovah's witness. Yeah. And I'm like, don't you understand the irony of that? Because you're thinking that way and now you're scared of it. So maybe your thinking is wrong and she didn't like any of that. And I never got to be invited to any of her uh, work parties again. <laughs> he, wants that. he wants to be invited. To that. Yeah, that was, uh, that, that was, those were groovy times. It just cracks me up that I was like, I was just coming out as a, I used to be this. I used to think you were going to die. Like, and I, and now I, now I know you're not dude. <laughs> I had a, a friend in high school who was a close friend and um, she was crying one day and I asked why she was crying. And she said, well, cause I just think that someday I'm going to be you know, dead and, and I'm going to be in heaven and, and you're not going to be there. Oh yeah. Thought, oh, well, that's <laughs> pretty sad. You know, that she just thought that I was, because I'm Jewish that I would not be in heaven. Yeah. It's and it and it, and it's just it's such it comes from such a real place too because people yeah. usually assume they're like oh oh you were in the Jehovah's Witnesses well that must have sucked because you know you're smart and I'm just like yeah no I believed one hundred percent people don't understand that I that was my faith it's it there that was reality it wasn't like oh that's strange it's like no I have to go do this some of this is very embarrassing to do but I have to do it anyway so. Yeah. Hey, question for you. Yeah. Are you watching Succession yet? No, I haven't been watching it yet. I've been barely watching anything. I, I I don't know my attention span. Like last night, I was after I was uh, reading, I was like, oh, let me watch a little something, and I watched a Barney Miller, oh. and I could barely like get through that. 
it's and I didn't know. I started watching. A, I was in the same situation a couple nights ago, and I started watching Larry Sanders episodes. Oh, those are so good. Great. Yeah, but now I'm going to go out and look for Barney Miller because that that was that was fantastic. Well, it's Barney it Miller was got me into jazz to begin with. But no I way. Well, there, I played clarinet, which is like the most boring instrument in the world you can play. And yeah. when I was in, you know, from fourth grade on, and then when I was in like um, eighth grade in junior high school, the local jazz band from the high school came over and they played jazz and they played the Barney Miller theme, you know. Wow. Which is a great, I love that thing. It was awesome. And I just sat there and went, holy shit. I said, I want to join that band when I go to high school. I said, I, how do I do that? I said, well, you can't be a clarinetist. You have to play saxophone. The very next day I had a saxophone. And I was and I was learning to play sax. And then right when I got in high school, I got into the jazz band playing sax, and uh, you know loved it and because of Barney Miller. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted, I bought a bass guitar, and I wanted to play the bass, and that would be one of the first songs I learned is, is that lick. Yeah. I was the episode I watched, and they only went two seasons. For some odd reason, I thought they had really? so many. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was it just like two seasons. Well, it, I, it was on. It was on. It was. It was on a streaming service, so maybe they had more seasons, but they only had two seasons they can show. But um, but I was watching this episode where they were scared about a sludge sludge in the uh, Atlantic ocean that was coming closer and closer to long Island that would uh, end up killing everybody. Like it was a pandemic. And th this is like 1975 and just, and the same kind of, it was just, it was really interesting to watch. Cause it was this, there was that paranoia there, just the, and it's just like, I, it's always, I think we're always kind of paranoid about it. Little did they know, you know, 40 years later or whatever, that <laughs> we'd really be in it, but. But that was Barney Miller. That's quite a topic to to have in the, as the B plot, you know. Right, yeah, because a, a guy came in with a, a thing of dynamite on him, and he's just like, nothing's worth living for. And it was just, oh yeah. They had, they had guts back in the day. I mean, all in the family, you know. I mean, all the episodes were, were, were so politically on fire, you know, and, um, and even I mean Barney Miller is, a, is kind of like a fun cop comedy. It was as serious as that. Yeah, I loved the, the, the some of the you know not necessarily the Partridge Family, but I loved a lot of the you know the the, the great uh, TV shows of, of the seventies. Well, Susan Day was one of my first just utter crushes, and yeah, yeah. I know. oh, oh, she makes my heart jump right now. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> And then um, who was the girl on the Brady Bunch? There was a girl on the Brady Bunch, wasn't there? Oh, the one who played Marsha? Was it Marsha? Marsha was the oldest one. And then there was oh, Jane. And then there was Cindy. Cindy was the youngest one. I think Marsha. Yeah. Who was that actress? I know her. I Man, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, because the one that played Marsha in the, t in the film version, which the film version, I don't know if you saw it, was actually fantastic. Okay. It blew my mind when it came out. I mean, I, this was many years ago, but um, the the woman who played Marsha in that is married to Ben Stiller. I don't know where the Marsha is now. That um, the original Marsha, OG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to convince my wife to watch the Brady Bunch the movie. Um, so I'll have to watch that on my own, I guess. You know what makes that movie? And it's that one um, actor. Oh, man. I w I'm trying to remember his name. He was in The Office Space. Remember Office Space? He played the boss. You know, everyone in the world has seen The Office Space, and I've tried to watch it a few times, and it just doesn't – I haven't been able to connect with it. Really? Oh, okay. I have to get further into it. It feels dated to me at this point. Oh, it's so dated. But I think – but I also used to have a tech job, too, and I've been around that. Yeah. Just the, the the utter just uh inefficiency and ego trip but um Gary Gary come on I, I can't remember um his, he comes up in other shows too before office space though he was in Skinamax um and when Cinemax would do like those oh, almost yeah. x-rated um yeah, yeah, after yeah. hours he yeah. was one of the big actors who would always show up as, you know, so I'm sure his ass was shown in a, in a, in a, a pleasing light on many early films. Yeah. 
Um, hey, so have you seen The Offer yet? You probably haven't seen The Offer. No, but I, but I, um, it's on my list. Be and and because of that, because and thank you again for reading <laughs> for reading my novel. Yeah. Uh, I am. I will change. I, I, I'm like. I have to change that character. I have to change that character because. Like, I mean, first of all, Robert Evans is a. Uh, you fall in love with him, just from seeing uh, Dustin Hoffman's performance of him in Wag the Dog. You know, he's he's playing a Robert Evans like character. So he's kind oh of wow, apparently Robert Evans. But um, but then you know, I also read his the biography, his autobiography called "The Kid Stays in the Picture." Right. And that was that was great. But I tell you, this performance, this uh, you know, this depiction of Robert Evans in the series "The Opera" is fantastic, and the actor is just unbelievable. And and you both love and hate, and ultimately really love the character uh, yeah. through this performance. Uh, so if yeah. only for that, I mean, just, and, and you're gonna have to watch him through many episodes, you know, you have to get involved because his character arc really goes through the entire series, you know, it grows, changes through the series. No, and I'm, and that, I'm, and that was such a great note too, because it was just a placeholder, you know, sometimes you just put someone in there and you're just like, what's the first thing I can think of? And it was just like that. And then they stay in it forever. And um, and sometimes it's sometimes first thought is the wrong thought, <laughs> and, and, I, and after after your notes, I was like, first thought is the wrong thought. Oh my god, he's right. He's right. First thought is the first thought. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're just like, dude, you got to watch the offer, and then you got to reconsider this <laughs> character. One little thing, but it's it's a brushstroke. It's a character brushstroke. Yeah, yeah. It's hard with all that, all that character stuff, right, man? I tell I, you, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a job to write a freaking novel. It's such, I mean, people like in my business world have just no idea. You know, they'll say it's like we talk every Monday. Like, what did you do this weekend? Oh, you know, my my coworkers are like. Well, I played, you know, 18 holes of golf, you know, and then I, I fixed up the house, you know, the the the, uh, the the lawnmower tractor wasn't working. So I built a new carburetor and, blah, 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 and all the stuff that they're doing around their house. They're building all the stuff. And then I so Steve, what did you do? So, well, I sat in the cafe for eight hours, but on Saturday and Sunday, it was wonderful. And I just run, run, run. It was, it's amazing. And I'm, I've been working on this, this novel for three years now. And I think I'm finally starting to get somewhere. <laughs> it's like, like, what the hell are you doing, dude? Fucking go out and get a life. You know, do something with your life. And and, and it's like, you know, after three years, I'm just getting a handle on uh, on on this freaking topic. You know, it's because I'm throwing my head deeper and deeper into it now. And 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 I'm so happy that I'm only a year away from finishing it. You know, by my estimate. Do you think estimate. so? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll I'll have the first draft done finally um, uh, in a you know couple of months. And then, uh, and and there's, and my first mat, first drafts are very, very dense. So, um, I mean, it's just there's everything kind of wanted in there is in there, but they're tight. I mean, this is going to be seventy thousand words or so, you know, um, when it's done, and maybe seventy five. And so, uh, so when I go back, it's just going to be really, it's going to be the, the stuff I love. It's going to be layering and layering and layering and brush strokes and and trying a different tact and, 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 you know, with characters and character development, it's all the stuff that, that makes a piece good, you know, after all that time putting it together. Yeah. And people, I don't think people understand, especially non-writers that how much time and brain space it takes to put a novel together, especially when it, when they read it and they go, Oh my God, this was so great. I read it in a night. And they wow. think, they think, so it must've been, it must've taken you a week, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read well, if, first of all, if they tell you they read it in a night and that's a huge compliment. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that means you definitely did your job right. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's, I tell you, I mean, it's, I didn't think it would be this hard on this novel, but it's out of my, um, my, uh, wheel space what's it called my wheelbarrow wheelhouse wheelhouse there we go it's, don't get two um, writers trying to figure out a word <laughs> no it's um because there's a lot of world building it's it, it's it's i i'm good at something that's like present day uh, very much out of my own experience you know i i can that's what i really like to write this i'm writing now is set in the future 
It's in 20, 2099. It's dystopian. It's It's got a lot of world building and a lot of um, science involved in it that has to be right. And it's a female protagonist. So it's like everything I've never done before. And that's why it's, it's and you got, when you do it, you got to do it right. Yeah. You, know, you, don't, you just don't do it. And this is the story that really spoke to me. I mean, I wrote the first chapter three years ago and the first chapter is pretty much almost hasn't changed and all the writing and rewriting I've done. That first chapter was it. And, and what I'm trying to do now is elevate the rest of the story to, to the promise of that first chapter, you know, delivering what that first chapter is promising. Now, when, now when you were, wrote that first chapter, did you realize this is what I'm going full steam ahead into, or did it take a few more months of writing? And then you went, wait a second, this is, this is going. First chapter was like it, you know? Really? Wow. That's good. She goes, your voice is back. She goes, and it's a new voice. You know, there's like something going on here. That's fantastic. And just, just do this. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, I can do this. I wrote the first chapter in like a week, you know, and so I can, I can play with this. And then three years later, typing away, I can get to that first chapter. You know, it's been so hard to to keep that level of excitement and 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 um, spontaneity up. You know, now now the real craft comes into play. It's like, okay, I gotta I gotta find that and and make sure that each chapter. And I've met and, and as I look through it now, you know, the first four or five chapters are are where I feel they should be. I think. But uh, the further I get away from that first chapter, the less confidence I have of it delivering that first chapter's promise. So, so it's going to take a lot of a lot of work, and a lot of work with my wife because she's got a really good eye. She's very very cruel to me. Um, she's got she's a good story person, and she reads all my work, and she's very very honest. And um, there's no there's no carrot. It's always a stick. Uh, yeah. And, and so. You know, she'll read it when I, I say, I'm not even going to let her see, you know, what I'm doing now I'm, until I'm done, until I'm happy with it. And uh, and then and then she'll tear it apart and, and it will be painful for me and all that. But who knows? Maybe uh, maybe we'll be completely on the same page. She, she loved the first chapter. So if I could just kind of do that through the whole book, then, then, then I'll be that, happy. I'll be that is a that is a great relationship i'm putting on my online dating profile i expect you to be my editor that's right yeah. I'll, I'll make you laugh if you are if, if you uh, if you are up to my expectations as an editor there you go it's good <laughs> i like it yeah maybe you'll meet the the, the, the girl of your dreams <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's uh, i hope you know, it's, it's, I, I know life, I know like a relationship is work. I know, I know there's, you know, there's that first infatuation and then because you never know. And it's just like, okay, now we're in and we're going to work on this and we're going to work with together. And it's just knowing that, knowing that you're both going to work together and you vibe each other because uh, yeah, I'm older, you know, this is an older relationship. This isn't a like 25 year old um you know, oh yeah, let's go. And if it doesn't work out, then you know, I got hundreds of years to live. This, I mean, I've, it's, but I think I put too much expectation on it too, because I'm like, oh, I, I want the last person I love. I want, and maybe I need to stop putting that much expectation on it. Oh, you're freezing. Am I We're freezing? freezing, my friend? Am you know I that? freezing? Am I back? You're frozen. <laughs> the interview if... has frozen. <laughs> Am I back? You're back. You're back. All right. I, I was saying that I might be putting too much. See, this could be all my problem because I'm putting too much expectation on romance lasting until the end of my life when I should just be putting expectation on how do you like your coffee? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People are vibing that off of me. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about this whole thing. Relationships are, are crazy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sex lives are are crazy. You know, it's like I'm I'm uh, uh, I, I wonder how well I'll I'll be able to keep it up, so to speak, through the course of my life. I don't know. They got pills for it now, from what I understand. They, they do, what? Are you serious? <laughs> for the physical part of it. Okay, I want some pills for the mental part of it too yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's yeah my pills would be like um you know it it wouldn't be images of like sexy women it would be images of me napping 
And then yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd just be like, whoa. If it that will let me nap, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> I haven't been this erect since. <laughs> when did we get, when did we become so old? I'm so upset about it. A lot of, a lot of my poetry in this collection is about aging, you know? Yeah. And, yes. And it's just like, I'm so pissed that I've had to get older. I mean, of course, the, uh, the, the alternative sucks. Everyone knows that. Blah, blah, blah. It sucks. But it also really sucks to get older. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I just don't appreciate it, my friend. Um, it sucks, but I, you know, a part of me feels like I'm cooler. Like, like I remember, my, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I think I was thinking about this today. I was up at uh, Trails Cafe over in um, Griffith Park as I was doing my writing and hanging out. And, um, and I was just like, God, I remember my grandpa when he was my age and he was never doing this. Yeah. And he was never, he was never very, he, he thought he was a happy go lucky person, but he was not, he was just very, there, there was something just so like not there and how lovely it is for us old guys to commiserate with you, commiserate with each other and go, yeah. Oh man, you're playing golf now, though. How's that? You know, it's, just, yeah. it's like the the the, and then I and then I see my lovely friends who are you know in their thirties uh, and they're they're still kind of acting like puppies with each other, and it's just, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I remember that, and it's so endearing to watch. It's so like, you know, there's, there's actually a there's a poem in that collection called the, the Boys at the Bar. Yeah. That- I don't know if we had time to pull that out. Pull it out. Well, um, I don't. You've got the book. <laughs> I'm in New York. Um, yeah. What? 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 What's it? It's, it's uh, called the Boys of the Bar. Unfortunately, I don't have any right. page numbers in there. Right. 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 What section? So it's towards the end. It's like in. It's in the section of uh, of uh, aging, I think. Boys in the bar with without without page numbers because I got the advanced review copy. Let's yeah, see. Well, don't worry, there's no page numbers at all in that thing because that's it's called self-published. Uh, I'd probably be able to find it easier. Um, I wonder if I've got it up here. Uh, do do the jazz thing so it's so we actually have music for this. It's a terrible jazz rendition. Keep going, it's terrible. It's terrible, but oh wait, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. The pills are working. The pills are working. Boys at the bar. Am All I right. right. So can you Am read I... it? Yeah. I... Right. It surprises me to see myself as old, but because I'm not, I see myself as the age of those young men who left the bar earlier, barely out of college, the bounce in their steps saying they own the world and the seat I sit upon with their cigarettes suddenly retro after vapes. And their arms around their girls, young, blonde things, tough and tattooed, the girls, hot as hell, their phones in the air, Ubering the next place on their list to conquer. If all their friends added all their ages, the average would be half the age I am. And it really only has been a handful of years, one, two, or three. It hasn't been what they say, what my mirror concurs. I am their age, easily in my mind, and in reflection, off my wife is the age she was when we met not a day older we are exactly the age we say we were though the boys at the bar would disagree there will be a time i'm sure when i'll meet the mirror halfway until then i'm those boys at the bar their illuminated lives drinking old fashions a drink much older than their age they think i am i don't know much older than the age they think i am they think i am yeah an old-fashioned yeah, so that's kind of like my uh, state of mind a lot. Uh, yeah, that's great. I'm still, um, I'm still in my twenties. You know? I and I, but I think that and that what's great about that is that is the, that is a universal truth. Yeah, I, you know, I even talked to people in their seventies, and um, I had I had a uh, when I was in New York, I had a wonderful uh, breakfast with uh, Hilma Wolitzer, and she's in her nineties, and I'm yeah. sitting there. And and we're like talking like simpatico, but yeah. she's got other things going on, yeah. and it's just like and and I'm just like you know I don't get it, but I get it. Yeah. She's looking at me, like going, 
you're so young yeah. and it's just like are you kidding but you know people in their 50s when they when i was in my 30s would be like you're so young and i'm like oh god no i'm not i think it's it's just it's a never-ending trick in our brain we do yeah yeah and we'll never be younger than the year than we are at this moment never be younger i i mean i i remember when we were young an hour ago yeah that's right that was a good time <laughs> do you, do you I remember, remember I, I was able to stand up and stretch my legs yeah, no, I just, I, it's just like I had so much more hope an hour ago. <laughs> I had, I had, I had hope two weeks ago when you were in town, but an hour ago now, dude, that was so much fun. I, I'm so, because like I think the last time we saw each other was in Los Angeles, and just, and then just to like, the next time we see each other after COVID is New York City, and I was just <laughs> like, hell yes, yes. Yeah, that was very, very good. That was definitely a highlight of my trip is to be able to hang out with you. For, for yeah, it was mine too. I was so stoked to hang out with you. And we were just like, just sitting there in that wonderful cafe that I'm going to, the next time I go, I will be there every night because you are right. It's the best cafe in the world. So yeah. <laughs> Until you go to the next one. The Trieste ain't too bad either. Trieste in San Francisco. Oh, no, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. So Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. It was fun. I'm so I've been wanting to do this for a while again. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, the little collection uh, gave me ex an excuse to reach out and, and talk about something. I'd rather be thin than famous. I don't want to be fat. And a woman throws me out of bed calling me Gordo. And every time I bend to pick up my suspenders from the Davenport floor, I explode loud, huge grunto and disgust everyone in the familio. I'd rather be thin than famous, but I'm fat. Haste that in your Broadway show. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.